Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right, another week, and we're talking run stuffing as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 246. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a couple of great guests here this week. First up, our Coaches Masterclass series continues. We are going on three weeks now with this series, and it started a couple of weeks ago with Jeff Stoutland, the Eagles O-line coach and run game coordinator. It continued last week with Eagles quarterback coach and pass game coordinator press taylor both those guys were awesome if you have not yet be sure to go check out those full video breakdowns over on the eagles youtube page i promise you if you're a fan of this show you will love these breakdowns because these coaches were so generous with their time and with their expertise to coach us up a little bit here this offseason. And that continues this week because Eagles linebacker coach Ken Flagel really takes us to school on the meaning of run defense and run fits. If you've never heard a coach talk about the specifics of stopping the run, you do not want to miss this breakdown. Again, the full video debuts on the Eagles YouTube page this Thursday, and I'm going to play some chunks of it here on this podcast. But the fun does not stop there because after that, we talk about run fits uh, you know, with Coach Flagel but after that, we turned back the clock a little bit with an interview I did four years ago on what was actually the 50th episode of this podcast. It was an interview I did with former NFL defensive lineman Stephen White. And in that discussion, we talked about the differences between one-gap and two-gap defenses. And I thought that this was a perfect time to go back to that conversation, almost as a refresher, to pair with what Coach Flagel is going to teach us when it comes to run fits. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Coach, welcome here to the segment. I'm excited to dive into the definition of run fits because I feel that that's a, a term that gets thrown a lot or thrown around a lot by fans and by the media. And we don't all know exactly what is a run fit. That's why I'm going to say the layman. How can you break it down for us in simple terms? Well, along the offensive front, you know, when the average fan looks at the offense, there's what we call gaps, you know, gaps in between the center and the guard and the guard and the tackle, tackle tight end. And in a gap control scheme, which we play at Philadelphia, everybody has a run fit. They have a gap that they're responsible for in the run game. And it's all dependent on, obviously, the spacing of the front, the front that you have and the coverage behind it. The defensive backs obviously have uh, a run fit as well as the linebackers and the defensive line. So that's what we spend a lot of time on. Uh, Fran, we've been, you know, fortunately, we've been very good at it. I think over the last four years, I think pro football focus has us as the number one rush defense in the National Football League. When you consider all the four years that that Coach Peterson's staff has been uh, at the Eagles. So we take a lot of pride in it. We work on it very hard. But again, we believe it's part of the secret sauce to winning football games. Sure. And so real quickly, before we dive into some of this film, does it, I guess it changes by defensive call, like guys, responsibilities all change. So it's not like this linebacker is responsible for this gap on every single play, no matter circumstance. Well, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of moving parts in it. Not only does it change by front and by coverage, but it also changes by offensive blocking scheme. 
All of a sudden now you could have a linebacker that you could say could be an A-gap player. He could have the center guard gap, and then all of a sudden they pull a lineman and his gap changes off the blocking scheme. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, that entail being in good run fits, but it could be as simple as the front and the coverage and the blocking scheme. And there, when you put them all together, there's it's a fast-flowing thing. And really, at the end of the day, guys, it's as simple as everybody just owning their gap. It's what we call a solo run fit. We're in a, a coverage and a front that gives everybody one back, one gap. If you run it back one one other time, you can see what they do is they end up bringing the wide out back inside to block 27. And then 31, Jalen Mills replaces off that crack block, and he replaces in that gap. So we've got a an eagle in every run gap along the defensive front right now. And if as long as everybody can hold their gap, uh, then we should have a good down going. So a, a couple of things there I want to hit up, hit you up on. So you mentioned uh, with the linebackers, how important it is for those guys to, to flow downhill quickly. It's not just about their possibility of making the play, but of helping those defensive linemen, you know, remove those double teams. So Fletcher Cox isn't dealing with two offensive linemen at once. He's now able to get a one-on-one. It's no question, Fran. It becomes critical right now because, again, if 54 just sits there and pats his feet and doesn't come downhill, that guard will stay on the double team on 91. He will not come off on 54. 54 makes the guard come off of him. And, again, the thing we don't want to happen is we don't want that double team to stay on 91 long, that it softens that run gap up and and then all of a sudden there's leaky yardage. Instead of that play being a one or a two yard gain, all of a sudden now it's four or five. Over the course of a game, over the course of a season, that really uh, plays to the offense's advantage. We've got to get downhill and we've got to get the double teams off a of down lineman. And then that second part of it was what you mentioned at the end with uh, the gap replacing. How important is that part of it? You see kind of, uh, you know, Malcolm Jenkins is responsible for that C gap on that side. But as soon as he gets blocked by the receiver, how important is that for Jalen to recognize that he's in man-to-man coverage on a receiver who comes in and now he's got to replace? No doubt. And just like I had mentioned at the beginning of the, of the, uh, of your podcast, uh, the DBs have a run fit just like the linebackers have a run fit. Everybody's involved in the run game. And when offenses start uh, employing their wide receivers to be part of the blocking scheme, then it entails the defensive backs get have to get more involved. Now they create extra gaps along the defensive front with the wide receivers. Now we have to replace them with DBs. When you have those two-gap looks, Coach, and you have a, a, the young guys coming from college, you know, if some conferences – they, they're not seeing any two-back looks over the course of their entire college career. Does it take long to be able to coach those guys up on, on how to read those looks once they get to the NFL? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement, Fran. I think it does. You're right. Uh, offenses uh, in college are moving away from two-back stuff. And uh, so it does. It's a little bit different form. And to see run plays with the quarterback under and not shotgun runs is a little bit new for the college <laughs> kids coming right because that's just – that's just the way the college game has evolved. But yeah, uh, like I say, it becomes a little bit new for them, but we do, again, spend a lot of time on run fits, uh, not only in practice, but I'll take individual drills with the defensive line and we'll card up uh, base run plays against our fronts. And so it's a constant education in how we're going to fit the run game up. So, Coach, before we get to this next play, I got to ask you, how important is it for those defenders, first level, second level, third level, everybody that's involved in the run fit, to be able to recognize 
the run that's coming. They've got to be able to you know diagnose the play. How important is that in terms of the run fit? It's very important. Uh, I always talk to the linebackers in terms of, listen, you've got to have high-speed internet if you're going to play this game at the professional level. If you're a dial-up modem guy with your brain, you're not going to last very long. Or, or if you do, I won't last very long. One of us is going to be out of the building in short order. But it does. Uh, our, our play recognition, our block recognition becomes very critical in, in our ability to defend the run and how quick we trigger off blocking schemes. Uh, that, again, is all part of the equation for playing good run defense. So, Coach, the one big thing that you hit on there, that I, and you've hit on it really on a couple plays here, when the guys are taking on blocks downhill at, at the linebacker position, they're not just going kamikaze, I'm just going to blow this guy up. They have to be cognizant of which shoulder they're going to use to attack to try and force the ball one way or the other. they got to know where their help is in the in the front and in the coverage. And, and again, 47 knows that he's got to put this ball back to 53. Uh, if that if – that, uh, tight end came all the way across, then there wouldn't be all the lead blockers or the blockers would come out of the front. But but again, 47 is well aware of where his help is and where he needs to put this ball. Now, this last Beautiful. run play that I have is called the down trap. And I would just tell our fans and everybody that's watching, this is something that we practice quite a bit. And, and the reason is, is because of how we play our defensive front with Jim Schwartz. You know, we're a we're a vertical um, uh, team right now with our defensive front. And when I say that is, guys, a lot of teams in this league, when teams get down blocks and, and pullers, they friction, what I call they friction a block. They squeeze a block. Our defensive front really plays, rushes the passer and plays the run on the way to the quarterback. So when we are a vertical team with our defensive front, Teams feel, offensive coaches feel that the way you can attack the Eagles is let's trap block them or let's draw set them or let's run screen against them. Those are all running plays or pass plays that that really take advantage of how we play our front. So we have to spend a lot of time on what we call a down trap because of how we do play our front. So I want to ask you a couple of things here, Coach, because with, with these trap plays, you know, the, the, the Eagles offense, they're so successful running these kinds of plays. For the defensive lineman, the guys up front, for Fletcher in that situation, he's not touched. And with a guy with his get off, there are often times where he flies into the backfield and the offensive lineman struggles to get a finger on him. How does he, how hard is it for him to recognize, like, hey, this is, they're actually trying to trap me? I didn't just beat this guy off the ball. Well, it, it is. And, and, you know, that comes down to uh, DNA and, and who your mama and your papa are. As we all know, Fletch is a special guy that way. Uh, and it's a great recognition. But I do want to emphasize to him that even if the guard had gotten on his hip and trap blocked him, we were still we still had the run fitted up the way we wanted to. We still had more than the law allowed on this particular run play. He just makes a great individual effort and sees it. But if you took a young defensive tackle fresh out of college on this thing, Fran, and you told him, hey, listen, this is your aiming point and this is your get off chances are that nine out of 10 times he's going to get trapped by the guard. And then now it just uh, depends on everybody fitting correctly off the blocking scheme in this front and this coverage. And I still think for us, we would have fit it correctly. I just think, again, it looks this way because, again, Atlanta uh, missed it a little bit in terms of their blocking scheme. 
on those kinds of plays, you know, with those trap plays where the offensive lineman can basically just free release up to the second level. Uh, what 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 are the coaching points there for a, a linebacker like Nigel Bradham? But I, obviously, I guess it kind of ch- doesn't change at all in terms of body type. If you've got a smaller, more athletic guy as opposed to a bigger, more physical guy, do you coach them differently to how to defeat that block, or uh, is it going to be the same regardless? Not not really. I mean, what my point to Nigel would be is, again, and there's some tells when you get to trap teams, uh, teams that do it with the back at home. Uh, the back is usually a lot tighter than he normally is. Usually they're at seven yards on on stretch plays. All of a sudden this guy moves up to five. Uh, they may get a tell off that that, hey, here comes the trap. They may see a light handed stance by the guard that tells them this guy's going to pull. There's a lot of little detail stuff, Fran, that we feed these guys that let them come. Uh, but at the at the very essence of it for Nigel, it's Nigel, when you see the pull on the trap, blitz the A-gap. Because again, the front side guard is the guy that's responsible for you. And a lot of times, if you just freeze it right now, that front side guard, see, see him fake, head fake the three technique before he comes to the backside linebacker? All he's trying to do is he's trying to invite Fletch to run up the field so the trap block from the opposite guard has an easier angle to pin him and block him out. So if Nigel just blitzes that A-gap, even though the guard's wrong and goes to the wrong linebacker, a lot of times he forces that block or beats that block before that guy can get a good leverage pin on him. So, Coach, we, we've covered uh, so much here with, with the run fit. Any kind of parting thoughts for the fans, for the listeners to uh, be able to say, okay, I feel like I've got a better sense of exactly what goes into being a good run defense team? <laughs> well, it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of want to, and everybody's got to buy into to it's, it's their job to make sure that these fits go, go, uh, go correctly. But – the one thing uh, I tell our guys, Fran, and and uh, and I know we tell our defensive front and everybody, uh, even though the NFL is a passing league by trade, you have to earn the right to rush the passer on third down. How do we get that done? We do it by stopping the run on first and second down. We get them into predictable situations, third and long, uh, hopefully, and now advantage defense. If, if they can run the ball and get four or five yards and all of a sudden you're defending a lot of third and ones and third and twos, the advantage goes to the offense, all right? There's a multiple of things that they can do to pick up one or two yards on third down. So our run defense on first and second down earns us the right to rush the passer on third down. Great stuff there from Coach Flagel. And again, this is a very video-focused breakdown. I tried to cut out the, the segments of this conversation uh, that I felt would be most suitable in audio format for this show. But if you like the pieces of this discussion, you need to make sure you go and check this out when it drops later this week, Thursday, June 4th, 12 Eastern time for our Coaches Masterclass presented by Lincoln Financial Group. The last two weeks of these have been so much fun. I've been doing Q&A sessions live as the segment debuts over on YouTube. So make sure you go check it out this Thursday at 12. Eastern time. Okay, so we talked about run fits, you know, there in that segment with Coach Flagel, and obviously that was through the lens of the Eagles and their one-gap scheme, which may have you some, you know, some of you guys asking a question: What exactly is a one-gap scheme? How is it different from a two-gap scheme? And Coach Flagel hit on that a little bit, talking about the you know the solo run fits and things like that uh, with the Eagles and their one-gap scheme, but. 
I thought I'd expand on that with this interview with Stephen White. Now, again, this interview was in the spring of 2016, okay? So this was right before the Eagles switched over to their one-gap system under Jim Schwartz. So there are going to be some names dropped here that may seem like blasts from the past. We're talking about making that transition from two-gap to one-gap. But I thought Stephen really helped explain the differences in the schemes, how they kind of differ from one another. And again, when you pair that with what we learned from Coach Flagel at the top of the show – it really all comes together. So let's get to that interview now in the second part of Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Stephen White, formerly a defensive end with the Tampa Bay Bucks and the New York Jets. After being drafted by the Eagles in 1996, he's currently blogging for SB Nation, and he does a great job breaking down the X's and O's on a weekly basis. So make sure you go and check all that out as I do all year long. Stephen, welcome to the show, and I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing, and really the main thing I wanted to get into, get into with, with you, Stephen, was the difference between one-gap schemes and two-gap schemes and what that means for the defensive line. And I guess first, let's just start with just basic definitions. What is, what is the definition of a one-gap scheme up front? Well, it, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, when you have a one-gap scheme, you have everybody accounting for one single gap in the run game. And that means that, you know, you hear sometimes people talk about two-gapping or, or taking on a guy and, and, and having two different gaps is your responsibility. This is the exact opposite. Every guy has a gap. Now, sometimes it's kind of a misnomer. Like you say that about most 4-3 defenses. But there are times when just about every defense has to have at least one guy two-gap, meaning he's respons- responsible for two different gaps. But for the most part, when you have, especially an eight-man front, you get that safety uh, down in the box. Everybody has one gap and one gap responsibility, and that's where you're supposed to be. If you're not there, sometimes, I swear, it seems like the ball just seems to find you when you're not in your gap. <laughs> well, that, and that's the interesting part is I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, there's a, there, like you said, there's kind of a misnomer, right, that so, you know, defenses are either one or the other, and you have to play. If you're a two-gap 3-4, then you, you're playing two-gap all the time. And, you know, as we've seen over the past couple of years with this defense, this 3-4 scheme in Philadelphia, that's not always the case. You know, you see Fletcher Cox, you see Vinnie Curry and Benny Logan. You see them jump into the, into the backfield in some of those one-gap situations. But uh, real quickly, you talked about the one-gap. What is a two-gap scheme, and how does that look for a defensive line up front? Well, normally – we associate a 3-4 with a two-gap scheme. But sometimes you actually have a 4-3 scheme that also incorporates two-gapping. And, and that means primarily the two inside defensive tackles are two-gapping the guards. They're going to take on the guards most, most of the time, especially on early downs when, when teams tend to run the football. They're going to take on those guards and try to control them. And wherever the guard goes, they're going to kind of follow them. And so sometimes they'll have... Uh, the gap in front of the guard uh, or to the left of the guard. Sometimes they have the one to the right. But generally, uh, the block itself kind of mandates which gap they have, and then they don't let the, 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 the guards or the center up for the linebacker. They try to keep um, the traffic to a minimum that gets up on the linebacker, and that's why you know they, they might grab a guard or they might grab the center so that two guys have to block them and leave the the uh, the linebackers on box. Most people are going to remember when uh, Ray Lewis kind of called out his defensive line one year. He said he needed 
bigger guys in front of him to keep guys off of him, and that's when they, the Ravens went out and got Haloti Nada, and we, we kind of know what happened after that. So uh, th- those are usually your bigger, sturdier, 330-pound guys, and that's because they have to be able to take on those double teams and still be able to make plays in either gap. So then I guess really the big question is how much do teams mix it up? And I guess it really it comes in, and you, you tell me if I'm wrong, it seems more that you're going to have those 3-4, two-gap teams, or we'll, you know, we'll just say two-gap teams in general, not necessarily 4-3 versus 3-4, but those two-gap teams will always have a little bit of one-gap mixed in, whereas you know one-gap, it's rare that you'll see them go full-on two-gap across the board. Obviously, like you said, there are going to be times where, hey, you know, this defensive tackle is going to have to two-gap or this DN is going to have to two-gap, just depending on what's going on behind them. But how often have you seen now, as the game has evolved over the last 15, 20 years, where teams are now mixing up what they're doing up front? And I think you hit it right on the head. It's the evolution of the game that kind of has necessitated more of the one-gap stuff filtering in to even teams that, that normally do two-gap stuff. Because, it, you know, trying to two-gap and then pass rush is one of the most miserable things on the planet. And so as teams start to pass more and you need to generate more of a pass rush, now you got to get those guys in those gaps so they can shoot the gap and get to the quarterback as fast as possible. It's, it's, it's impossible to two-gap and still be a good pass rusher. Uh, Fletcher Cox has done a phenomenal job of being able to transition from two gapping to, to, to pass rushing. But that's why you pay guys top dollar who can do that because it's very rare. You get J.J. Watts and what have you. Most of those guys are just built for, you know, so you're in nickel most of the time now. You're, you're kind of looking for pass more now. you got pass rushes in the game a lot more now. And so you're going to have to have guys that can, can get upfield and get in those gaps and rush the passer, as well as guys that can kind of play the run, even if you run a 3-4 scheme and you normally two that. Well, what did you play mostly? And again, you, you played seven years in the league. You got drafted here in Philadelphia, ended up with the, with the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Jets, and you uh, played collegially at Tennessee. What, what scheme did you most play in when you were, uh, when, you know, when you were an NFL player? I actually played strictly in a 4-3 defense the whole time. Now, I ended my career – uh, with the Jets, and we had Ted Cottrell, who was more of a 3-4 guy as our defense coordinator, but we had Herman Edwards, who was a 4-3 guy. And so that ended up being a little bit of a hybrid of both, but our base defense was a 4-3 defense, so um, that's pretty much all I knew as a player. I played in a 4-3 in college, too. Um, and so it wasn't really until – after I finished playing, that I even started studying three, four defenses at all. They're very fascinating, especially the evolution of them. But um, I was mostly a four-three guy. So, and you mentioned how hard it is to rush the passer as a two-gapping lineman. As a former lineman, does it pain you to see, to see that, or do you do you understand the strengths and weaknesses of of going two-gap? Because obviously, look, uh, neither one is perfect, or otherwise everybody everybody would run it. Uh, do you kind of sense the, the the strengths and weaknesses of both, or you know, as a former defensive lineman, is it hard to to not be selfish and say, you know what, let those guys up front, let those guys eat, let them get after the quarterback? Well, yeah, it's hard watching guys do gap. I'll be honest because I much rather see guys get upfield, even against the run, just you know, trying to make plays in the backfield rather than leaving it up to the linebackers. But but I'll say this much too, and this goes back to the evolution of the game. 
I, I, there was a time where three four was kind of the best of both worlds because you had guys like Bill Belichick who would liberally substitute from play to play. You know, one play you got all these big guys in there and you can't run the football. Next play you got a whole bunch of pass rushers in there and you can't pass it either. But now with the proliferation of teams that go no huddle and, and tempo, especially you know, speaking of the Patriots, the Patriots, it's a lot harder to get the right kind of combination on the field. Whereas, you know, when you're a 4-3 attacking defense, you, you're pretty much the same guys all three downs. Maybe you might take your nose tackle out, but that's about it. Everybody else stays in a pass rush. When you're a 3-4 team, you got to get those big guys out of there when you're trying to get a pass rush. But now, you know, you got Brady and then you got Gronkowski, so you're trying to play, play base one play, and then they go tempo the next play, and you can't get your pass rushes in there. So that's another part of the evolution of the game that, again, makes you have to lean more towards those 4-3 fronts and 4-3 personnel. Well, then let me ask you this, because this is one thing that I think is really interesting, too. You know, everyone talks about the, the transition from a 3-4 to 4-3, and, you, you know, I think that the common fan knows, okay, what a quote-unquote five-technique defensive end is at this point, what they're asked to do, and what a 3-4 nose tackle, and what a three-technique is. But how does it differ in terms of, and we'll take the coverage responsibilities out of it, obviously that's a big part of it, but just in terms of moving forward and, and, and in terms of being a pass rusher and as a run defender, how does a switch from a one-gap to a two-gap affect a defensive end that's going to be playing outside a tight end or outside an offensive tackle? Well, it's like the difference between lining up in front of a tackling dummy and trying to run and getting into, you know, a sprinter stance and having nothing but clear blue skies in front of you. Uh, and that's, that's literally what it is. You get to run around guys and, and show off your athleticism when, when you're in that 4-3 attacking defense, which is what you guys are transitioning to. You know, a guy like Fletcher Tonks had to fight his butt off to get through the middle of a guard, and then here comes the center trying to help him uh, just to get to the quarterback. So it's really remarkable, you know, kind of uh, the way he was able to get to the quarterback last year. But you put him on an edge, and now more than likely that guard isn't going to get any help from the center because Fletcher's going to be able to blow by him right now. It's like, you know, you woke up in heaven, basically. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I saw where he tweeted out, like, you know, uh, I guess when the rumors were uh, about the, the new defensive coordinator, they were going to a 4-3. I'd expect Fletcher Cox to have a career year this year, man. He's going to be a monster in that kind of defense. Great stuff from both Coach Flagel and Stephen White, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at SGW94. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And while we're talking about the podcast over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, I mentioned – Last week that we dropped another new show, and if you are an Eagles fan, you do not want to miss out on Return Game. This podcast is all about Eagles history. Every season, we'll focus on a new topic, and this first season will be centered around entirely on one of the best games with a name in all of professional sports, and that is the House of Pain game. The first episode is already out, so before the next one drops later this week, make sure you go subscribe to Return Game wherever podcasts can be found. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes all of our podcasts, especially this one, uh, on social media. That's 
that's one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. Here's one that I want to give a quick shout-out to. Jay Got 1212 left a five-star review. Just talked about how much they love the show and how he listens all the time during feeding sessions with the newborn son who was just born in February. So congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Jay Got, to baby Jay Got. I got to tell you, we just celebrated my little guy's first birthday a couple of weekends ago. The time really does fly by. So uh, enjoy the feeding sessions uh, while you've got them. Jay Got, thanks so much for the review, and thanks uh, for the comment, all of you out there, for your continued support of this show and all all the rest of our podcast offerings at philadelphiaeagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.